This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 18, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. The cuts to military spending offered by Defense Secretary Robert Gates may amount to some improvements in efficiency, but they don't cut much spending. True spending cuts, says Chris Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, will mean reestablishing the very purpose of the military as a force for the protection of the United States. Secretary Gates would like to consolidate some of the overhead that has grown up within the Department of Defense over the last uh, you know, 15, 20 or more years, um, includes the most, the most prominent is closing down Joint Forces Command, GIFCOM, uh, which helps to or supposedly helps to coordinate different uh, parts of the military working together. Um, it was a f- fairly new command, and therefore the logic is that rolling it back will not uh, lose a lot in the in the grand scheme of things in terms of capabilities. Um, there's obviously grown up a lot of um, civilian um, uh, infrastructure, civilian uh, overhead that can be cut back, um, and I think that's likely to move forward. Uh, there's long been some concern about the use of contractors, which it's argued are more expensive. That may be true in the short term. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced that it's true in the long term. But these are reforms that are actually quite well um, established. The being, uh, it, it was based on a number of recommendations that he received from a commission and defense business board, which had laid down a lot of these recommendations, and they're fully consistent with that. Um, I think it's also interesting that the the uh, new central command commander, that is James Mattis, who was previously GIFCOM, uh, he, even he supports shuttering the command that he just recently uh, led. So I think there is actually quite a bit of support within the uh, Pentagon and within the broader national security community around these cuts making sense. That said, uh, they do not amount to very much in the grand scheme of things. It appears that Gates is attempting to forestall deeper cuts, more significant cuts, that would actually reduce total military spending as opposed to shifting money from this overhead into war fighting, especially in Afghanistan and still uh, in Iraq and elsewhere around the world. Uh, and, And as I've argued, and Ben Friedman and others of us have argued for a long time, if you're really serious about cutting military spending, which I think we should be, you cannot achieve those kind of meaningful cuts by reducing overhead, even though reducing overhead makes sense from an efficiency perspective and all those things. The cuts that he talked about, such as reducing the number of stars on right. your average general, yes. <laughs> um, seem to be more about efficiency gains than about cutting spending. Yes. Um, where should we be looking? Where should Secretary Gates, President Obama, and others be looking in the military budget for serious cuts that do not, and perhaps even enhance, uh, U.S. security? Well, I think the most important is to look at how we have grown the Army and Marine Corps and strength since 9-11. That is the number of people active duty in uniform. These uh, increases were justified at the time in order to, uh, at the time, especially fight the war in Iraq. And now those forces are now being shifted increasingly into Afghanistan. 
Uh, it's my argument, I think a number of others agree with us, that in fact having 100,000 troops on the ground in Afghanistan indefinitely does not advance American security. It is a, is a very long-term proposition, is likely to be extremely costly, uh, and at the end of the day will not uh, make us much safer from terrorism, the most successful and effective counterterrorism um, missions, especially even those that include the military, have not relied on large numbers of troops on the ground. Again, the U.S. military is primarily not about fighting al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. It's about trying to stand up a functioning nation state. That's a different kind of mission entirely. I think if you were to roll back the force to at least pre-9-11 levels, you could obtain substantial savings because Personnel costs are the fastest growing component of the defense budget uh, and are likely to continue to grow given health care expenditures and the same kind of problems we've seen in the uh, civilian economy, the wider economy. And more importantly, even as people recognize that a lot of the personnel cost increases could be reined in by some very sensible reforms at the margin, things like very modest things like increasing co-pays for retirees, for example, which is an idea that has widespread support within, again, the national security community and people who study this problem. Politically, it's a non-starter. Uh, members of Congress, for a whole host of not very good reasons, will not uh, vote for uh, even these modest, sensible reductions. And so I think in order to really achieve substantial savings at the personnel level, you've got to, con- you've got to cut the number of people in uniform. I also think there are some sensible cuts to be made in uh, other force structure in terms of Navy force structure, in terms of the Air Force. The Navy and Air Force personnel numbers have stayed reasonably flat over the years, but we continue to invest vast sums of money in weapon systems that are still untested, like the Joint Strike Fighter, the F-35, which is still untested, uh, and and the costs for these continue to go up and up. Um, I think... There is a sense, and, and a generally accurate sense, that, that that a lot of this increase, especially in the procurement budget in terms of hardware and, and technology, is driven by inefficiencies in the defense industrial base. And I think that's true. Uh, I think that, that all of the different measures that have been attempted over the years to control and and reduce waste have failed. And I think it's a function not of um, uh, an, an attention to the problem, but there is a structural problem with trying to reduce these inefficiencies. You have, um, you know, one buyer and one seller usually, or just a very small number of sellers. So you do not have a competitive marketplace. It's very difficult to introduce genuinely competitive pressures into this market. And therefore, again, in order to really drive efficiencies, you need to establish a ceiling or a a very firm uh, limit to the amount of money you spend and force those efficiencies down through the the pipeline and and effectively force some trade-offs, some cost-shifting between the services, actually, where they're actually fighting with one another to an, to a certain extent over um, uh, their what they contribute to security. Is that similar to what occurred during the base realignment and closing process? That type of uh, of infighting in order to to meet this sort of a global budget. Right. I, I think that there are elements of the BRAC process that um, tried to circumvent or short circuit the normal political log rolling that goes on in the in the kind of year to year defense budget where, you know, one one member supports a particular weapon system or a particular program in exchange for another member doing the same. And there's a huge kind of 
a momentum behind uh, the gro- the growth in spending across the board, but but in the military, what we're talking about in the BRAC, you essentially turn those uh, pressures around where there was competition uh, within a shrinking pie, right? And so I think, and ultimately, that was a, a fairly useful process. There are some people who have suggested you could use a similar process to try to bring greater rationality and ultimately for some cost savings uh, within the military budget as a whole. Um, I think that's something worth looking at. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to rethinking the roles and missions of our military. What do we expect our forces to do? Where do they need to be? Where do they need to be deployed? Where they where do they need to be located? Uh, even here in the United States, and that's a different set of questions than either Secretary Gates or, frankly, President Obama have been willing to ask. They've simply continued the pattern that was laid down since the end of the Cold War, which is the United States is the world's policeman, and uh, and we have effectively discouraged other countries from playing a larger role, both in their own defense and in their respective regions. Chris Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and a member of the Sustainable Defense Task Force. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.